Welcome to the Chatting in Manhattan radio show with your host Kim Ward and Garth Sandiford. Hosts that go past the biographies of individuals to bring you the real stories behind the greatest minds and most inspiring people. Join us as we put our guests into the spotlight to reveal the greatness that has brought them success. Chatting in Manhattan. The story starts where the biography ends. So, put your hands together and be inspired with the Chatting in Manhattan radio show. Welcome to the Chatting in Manhattan show. I'm your host, Garth Sandiford. And today, we're welcoming a very special guest, Kimmy Werner, who has a new show coming out on Discovery Channel called The Pacific Warriors. And uh, Kimmy, welcome to the Chatting in Manhattan show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, for starters, just tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, who you are, and where you're from. Okay, I am Kimmy Werner. I was born and raised in Hawaii. I grew up on the island of Maui, and I am a free-diving spearfisher woman. <laughs> I, I like that. That sounds, pretty, that, that sounds pretty powerful. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might sound kind of confusing for people, but... Um, but yeah, I don't have any other way to explain it. <laughs> yeah, I had an, uh, the uh, privilege of looking at some of the preview clips. And, and, you know, one of the questions I had is, how did you get into this? I got into free diving at a really young age, actually. I was about five years old when my dad started letting me tag along with him. He was a free diver and a spear fisherman, and he basically used this to put food on the table and feed our family. And um, yeah, so at a very young age, I was just tagging along with my dad in the ocean and putting in my orders for what I wanted to eat for dinner. Um, but as I'd watch him go down and bring out these lobsters or these fish from the deep, it really, really gave me that connection. And it, it also just gave me that comfort in, um, in being in the ocean and holding my breath and um, in learning about fish behavior and, you know, and fish stocks and which ones I wanted to eat. And so I think I just got a really, really early education on the whole thing. Uh, okay. Well, how long did it take you to get to a point where you were able to hold your breath for up to four minutes or just a little over four minutes? Yeah, I, um, you know, as a kid, I, I would never time myself. I would just love holding my breath and, and being in that world. But it wasn't until... Um, later, because our our family actually moved away from that type of lifestyle. I mean, that was more of the lifestyle I had at a very, very young age, around five. Um, and that was when my family was kind of poor and they didn't have a lot of money. But as they started to make more money, we started to live in a more modern, civilized way, which didn't include a lot of free diving or spearfishing. And so it actually wasn't until way later, until I had grown up and went to college and moved away from home. I mean, I just an island away. Um, and I basically just realized how much I missed that, how much I missed that connection. And so when I was in my early 20s, that was when I decided I was going to learn how to hunt myself and I was going to return to free diving. And that's when I started taking it, you know, really seriously. And I would say about three years after that, um, I felt, I felt pretty capable. Um, but as far as conditioning yourself to hold your breath for over four minutes, I do believe that that is something that just about almost, almost anyone can do if, if they just put their mind to it. And, um, you know, as far as how long it will take you to get there, I can't really say, but 
it really just depends on on your ability to make yourself relax and make yourself be comfortable because the physical body is very capable of doing it. It's just the fears within our brain that stop us. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I've heard someone say something like that, you know, it's, it's the, our minds that control what we're able to do. And I'm not surprised that you yeah. say anyone can hold their breath up to four minutes, but I guess with practice, you can do anything. How long did it take you to get to that point? Well, um, to tell you the truth, I can't really say because it was never my focus. Um, I just was mm-hmm. trying to catch dinner, and um, I was probably just holding my breath for for about two minutes, um, knowing that that was more than enough to catch dinner. But um, but then the world champion of freediving ended up coming through to Hawaii, and he just said, hey, if you want, I can teach you some tricks, and I can train you, and I'll, 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 I'll train you for free. And um and and you can see like how deep you can really dive and how long you can really hold your breath. And after it was actually my my very first day of training with him and my very first shot, I held my breath for four minutes and forty five seconds, and that actually felt pretty conservative. Like I wasn't pushing it much. And um and then he's like, you know, that's great. Like let's go in the ocean and see how deep you can dive. And that was also, you know, he he actually set a limit. He said, I'm going to set these weights to 133 feet, um, swim down and see if he can get there. But that's the maximum. And so I swam down and got that on my first try. And then he said, OK, I'm going to lower them a little bit more. And he dropped it to 159 feet. And I swam down and touched them. And to tell you the truth, I haven't um, I haven't really made any attempts. That was my my day of training with him. And, um, and after that, I went back to hunting for food and I have the knowledge in my head that, you know, I can hold my breath for four minutes and 45 seconds at least. And I can dive to 159 feet at least, but I haven't, um, I haven't pursued that type of, of, um, you know, of goal setting just to try and dive deeper, hold my breath longer. Um, and it really was just my, my first time giving it a shot with him that I was able to do that. Uh, I do think I was very, very conditioned for it because of all of the free diving and hunting that I do and just how I got an early start as a kid, too. So I think um, I was a pretty, pretty good, pretty good student. <laughs> but um, but I also do believe that um, that if people were to give themselves the time to really condition and train their mind into that type of comfort, that it would be achievable. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, it was something you said that uh, really, you know, has me thinking. You you grew up and you learned to, to, to free dive and spearfish at a very young age. Then you left and you went into a more modern world and you went to college mm-hmm. and then you decided to come back. What, mm-hmm. what was it that made you decide to come back? Um, there was just something missing in life. I mean, it was just this feeling of, um, I don't want to say emptiness, but I would just say of not being completely fulfilled and and I think that a lot of times we set goals for ourselves and we think that as soon as we arrive to the place of achieving those goals then we're going to arrive to some place of contentment and I think that's what I kind of thought graduating from college would be I think that um somehow I thought that once I you know graduated from college I and get my culinary degree and then go out into the real world then then I will have arrived to to some point of fulfillment and then to get there and realize I didn't feel that 
that's that's what really got me thinking, you know, and I just thought like what's what's wrong with this picture? Like what is going on? I you know, I'm young, I graduated at twenty one years old, I have a a good job, I get exercise, I get to live in a beautiful place. Um, you know, I, I'm a competitive canoe paddler, I'm out on the ocean a lot, enjoying nature. What is missing? Why do I not feel content? And the more that I asked myself that question, the more I just started seeing these images of being five years old and helping my parents, you know, do all these chores that we own, you know, that we did because we were poor, but whether it was gathering the chicken eggs or going diving with my dad or just, you know, it was this simple life that I kept just seeing these images of. And when I see those images, I would feel like, man, that's sure when I felt happy and that's when I felt content and that's when I felt the most connected to this life and everything around me. And man, do I miss that feeling. And, you know, at first I tried to just kind of write it off because I thought that that was just a lifestyle from the past and that you can't go back to the past. But then over some time, I realized it's not about, you know, trying to go back, but it's about, you know, you know, we can go back to a simpler life. Even if we can't go back in time, we can take those lessons that we've learned. We can take those values that are embedded in you and you can find ways to apply it to this modern world. And, um, and when I started realizing like, yeah, I can do that. I can go learn how to free dive. I can learn how to spearfish and the satisfaction that I got from actually doing it from, from going out there and just being able to come home with dinner. I can't even tell you like how happy that made me feel. And, you know, this is coming from a person who I was working in a restaurant every night, working with food, but having no connection to where that food came from and what it took to get there. And just the simplicity of, of being able to, to know that, to know it. When I'm sitting down to eat this fish, I know exactly where it came from. I know what it took to get it here. And I was a part of that process. It made me feel accountable. It made me feel proud of myself. It made me feel self-sufficient. You know, it was it was such a win in terms of the happiness and the quality that it added to my personal life that that's why I was like, I'm going to get into this, you know, full force <laughs> because this makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's fantastic and that's awesome because you do you realize that most people usually have that experience around age 40 and you had it at a very young age and you know, I could call it a middle age crisis or something where they, they, right. they wake up one day and they realize, you know, I'm not doing anything that makes me happy. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's a imagine. continual thing. You know, I think that we always kind of, you know, even, even when you do find, you know, kind of get yourself on that right path, because even at that early age, when I did fall in love with diving, you know, it, it really worked wonders on my life. But, but even then, then I ended up getting really good at it. And, um, and then I was, you know, urged to try my hand at competing. And so my first time ever diving outside of Hawaii, actually was on the East Coast, it was um, at the United States National Championships in mm-hmm. Rhode Island. And that was my first time ever diving outside of Hawaii. And it was so different. And it kind of freaked me out. But I ended up learning it, enjoying it. And I ended up actually winning the national championships. Um, 
And as great as that achievement was, I, I can now look back on it and say that the years that followed that, after I became national champion, uh, national champion, I um, I basically then, you know, just kept competing, and I, you know, it felt so good to get recognized for what I love to do, and then it also felt so good to actually have people believe in me because I can't tell you, you know, how many people didn't understand when I told them I was pursuing spearfishing um, and and whatnot, but to to have people believe in me made me so happy that I. I kept pursuing competition. And then a few years later, I got to that spot again where I was just like, okay, why don't I feel fulfilled? Like I thought diving was everything I needed. But again, I had to just reassess and say like, well, you never got into this for trophies. You know, you never got into this, you know, for, for awards and for competitions. You got into this to try and go back to a simpler life. And, and now it's this kind of, you've complicated it again. And so even then I had to reassess and um, restructure things. And I ended up quitting competition and thinking that I was going to, you know, lose all of my sponsors and, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I let people down, but I ended up still just going back to diving for food. And, um, and then I started traveling just to, just to also learn how other cultures manage their natural resources and do things that I was more passionate about that really were related to why I got into diving in the first place. And, and then that ended up working out and um, I just ended up getting more responsible sponsors like Patagonia and um, was able to, to have a platform where instead of just trying to chase and win trophies, that you're actually, you know, using your spotlight for something more meaningful, um, like sustainability and responsible fishing, um, and being an advocate for that. And I think, I think it's neat because I think sometimes when you just try and follow what's expected of you, you are going to end up in a place where you don't feel content and you are going to have those midlife or quarter life crises. But I think that the more you tap into to who you really are and even if it doesn't really go the way of society as long as you're able to to listen to it and to take little steps to follow it I think you will be able to add meaning to your life and it's it's a work in progress <laughs> that's for you know, sure. I, I hear you <laughs> you know you said a lot and <laughs> and you know you you went back to live the simple life and in the process you found a life you found yeah. something that you enjoyed. You found a passion. You found your voice. So now you're you're doing Pacific Wars, which happens to be here in, on Friday, October twenty third at at, at uh, ten p.m. And uh-huh. now you're now you're on TV. You're a national. You're going to be a naturally known person. What right. What are some of the fun things or some of the experiences that you enjoyed uh, that you think the viewers are going to really appreciate when they see the show on the twenty third of October? I mean, I just, I think just being taken, I mean, I'd say for my, my role alone, I think just being taken into the beautiful underwater world is something that will forever be fascinating. I mean, the fact that I can see it when I'm down, say that when I'm down there so much, that says a lot to me. And I just think that the viewers are not going to be disappointed with the underwater footage for sure. Everything from the fish to the sharks, to just the beauty of the water. And how, you know, how um, weightless you are when you get to move through it. I think all of that has been captured really well. Um, and I'm also just hoping that that they get to see a taste of Hawaii and the culture and um, the real stories of real people who live there. 
Hmm. Interesting. And you know, there, there was a part in the preview clip that I watched where you were you were going down to catch the octopus, and then it squirted out the ink, and, and it got away. Did you ever get that octopus? You know, that one I did not get. And what even when it did swim away, it you could follow it, and you could try and get it out of the toll. But as it inked and swam away, I also was able to get a really good idea of how big that octopus was. And it was mm-hmm. completely legal to take, but... Um, it's still one that I felt like I think I'd be better off finding another because it's kind of, you know, right, right on the borderline. And that's the beautiful thing about spearfishing and freediving is that you're right down there in that world. You know, you're, there's no such thing as, um, as a bycatch or something like that. Like you get to use your eyes just like how you would in a grocery store to select apples and say, do I want this apple or that apple? And, and, yeah. um, and that's why I love it so much is for the selectiveness of it. Well, that, that's amazing. There was a part where, where you said something that I didn't see if I remember this. When you see a shark, you want to swim to it. What, what, what is that about? Oh, okay. So for me, basically one thing I've learned from hunting is that, you know, I never swim at my prey whenever it comes to fish. Like if I want to, if I want that fish, I'm not going to swim at it because when I move towards it, it's only going to push that fish further away from me. And so when I hunt, I'll go down to the bottom of the ocean and I'll actually turn away from the fish and I'll use like really passive body language to pique their curiosity more. And so I quickly learned that when it came to dealing with bigger fish, like sharks, um, that it was very similar. And that if I saw a shark and I got scared, you know, my reaction would be to pull away from the shark because you want, you're scared, you know, you don't want to move towards that shark. Um, But whenever I would pull away, I would notice that that shark would speed up and come in so much faster. And so knowing Mm -hmm. that a shark is just a big fish, then I said, well, you know, I have to act like a predator then, you know? And so when I swam towards the shark, then I would always notice that, um, that that's when the shark would change its course or that's when the shark would just treat me as if I was a fellow predator and we would just pass each other by, but he would no longer, you know, be, you know, interested in me or looking at me like I was prey. And it really just depended on my own personal body language. And so now to this day, when I see a shark in the water, the first thing I'm going to do is swim directly at that shark. Um, And because I believe that it is, um, an action and, and body language that it gets to tell, you know, these sharks like that, that you are a fellow predator and that you're not going to act like prey because you're not prey. Um, and, and that's just something that, that I find to be like the most comforting for me when I see a big shark in the water is just to hold your ground. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I mean, I think you mm-hmm. might have, uh, may have discovered something new. And, you know, for, for, the, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, what would be the one thing that you would like them to take away from the show? I would like the viewer to just take away respect for, for Hawaii and for the beautiful culture and the people that live there. And also, I would like the viewers to take away an appreciation for, for doing things in a more simple way even if simple doesn't equal easy. 
I think that today we live in such a world of fast-paced convenience that so many times our decisions are just made on what's available and easy and fast, but they're not really the most conscious decisions. And I think that, you know, kayak fishing is such a great example of going back to a simpler way of life because obviously, you know, if, if you just, if your goal is just to catch as much fish as you can, um, as efficiently as you can, that, you know, kayak fishing is not what you would want to do. There's all types of industrial fishing. There's nets. There's just so much, you know, there's fish farms. There's so many more effective, efficient ways to do things that don't require such hard work. It doesn't require, you know, paddling yourself out on a boat with no motor and having to, you know, learn all the skills that it takes or having to hold your breath to dive to the bottom of the ocean to get one fish. But I think that seeing a small group of people who are choosing to do things that way, I'm just hoping that the viewers can take away a small understanding of why. And the why to me would be because of the connection that you feel. That even though it's not necessarily like necessary in today's world to do this, that it does give you more meaning. It does give you some sort of connection. And although I don't think that everyone, you know, should go out and kayak fish or try and swim to the bottom of the ocean, I do think that we all have simple things that we can return back to if we just give ourselves permission to. And a lot of times I think that we just take what we're handed, you know, by today's world and society, but we don't realize that, you know, that all of those little unconscious decisions are really sucking so much value and meaning out of our lives. And so whatever it is to the viewer, whether it's, you know, going for a walk or spending more time with your family or going back to doing film photography, whatever authentic passion it is to them that maybe they're not doing because it doesn't make sense in today's world. I hope that this show will show you a group of people who do it anyway and the happiness that it makes for them and hopefully inspire others to find that own happiness in their life. Fantastic. And one final question. What would you like the viewers to learn about Kimmy Warner? I would love the viewers just to know that um, that my my goals and my passions all lie within within just um, taking care of our natural resources and taking care of this planet that we live on and taking care of each other and that that is truthfully why I fish and that's truthfully why I share my stories about what I do. It's because I really do believe that this this type of thing of just of just um trying to live in a way that is better for the earth, I believe that that can form a community, a community of people that will take care of each other. And that's I mean, that goes as far as like when I catch a fish and share it, you know, I'm getting bananas and chicken eggs and stuff back or if I see a if I see someone out there like harvesting fish illegally like I'm going to be the one to have a discussion about that within my community and I just think that um that that is what I'm about right now I'm about just trying to create change for the good of our earth whether it's on a global global level or just a very small community level 
um, all within a positive way, you know, all within having conversations and, and doing what you love and just, you know, living, living a life that, um, that you put more awareness into living an examined life, really, where you look at all the choices that you make and the effects that they have on the world around you. Um, that's, that's who I am. And I'm just trying my best to, to do it in a positive way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, you, you sound like a really amazing woman and, and you have your path set out for you. And I'm going to be sure to watch the series premiere of uh, Pacific Warriors, which is here on Friday, October 23rd, on Discovery Channel at 10 p.m. Because when I look at it, I'm going to be able to sit there on my couch and sit and talk to her. And I, I have some insight mm-hmm. and understanding as to what it is that she's doing and why she's doing it. And I really want to thank you for, for, for coming on our show. Thank Would you, you so much. I really appreciate it. Can you tell mm-hmm. the listeners where they can find more information out about you and, and your, you know, how they can get in contact with if they wish to? Oh, yeah. I have a website, and it's KimmyWerner.com. That's K-I-M-I-W-E-R-N-E-R.com. Well, Kimmy, thank you so much for joining the Chatting in Manhattan show. And uh, I wish you, you so best much. luck. And I, I'm looking forward to watching the future uh, episodes that come on after the series premiere. You have been listening to the Chat in Manhattan show with our special guest, Kimmy Warner, of the Discovery Channel show, Pacific Warriors.